Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Our Bible reading is taken from Matthew 2, 13 to 23. At the end of this reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please kindly respond by saying thanks be to God. Matthew 2, 13 to 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophets, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tosin. Good morning. Morning, church, and welcome to City Church. Um, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would feed us, Lord, with bread from heaven. We pray that you fill our hearts and our souls. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Because of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So welcome to continuation of our series on the Advent. Christians globally and from all antiquity have celebrated the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. It's really about God visiting his people. Let me give me a second here. Get myself sorted out. It's about God visiting his people. And in the last two weeks, we've seen how God came to shine his light on people who are dwelling in uh, darkness, uh, uh, specifically, to, specifically to voiceless children, looking at the slaughter of the innocents and alluding that, using that analogy to how, in our modern times, 
we commit the horrible sin of violence to the unborn, talking about the sin of abortion, and how we're often blind to the carnage of abortion in our times today, and how we, we don't take any steps to offer uh, support and, and succor to either the woman who, is, uh, who has an unwanted pregnancy and to find how we can help them, or after they've given birth, how we can uh, adopt those babies and provide a life and family for them. We also, after that, uh, Francis talked about uh, God's advent to the outsiders, uh, those who are judged by us to be of worse moral character. Uh, the loose woman or the shifty man, the yahoo boy, or, or those pe other people in society that we look down on. And he was using the story of uh, Mary's pregnancy, her surprise pregnancy, surprise, surprise, surprise to the man, right? Uh, uh, Mary's surprise pregnancy, and how that could have really, really turned out to be uh, potentially damaging for her reputation and maybe even for, to her life. If Joseph was not a kind and a just man, who, want, who, who in spite of what he thought was uh, uh, a, a terrible situation, he was going to manage it in a way that she would not be uh, endangered. He was kind and he was just. He was just and he was kind. And those things can go together. And so we continue in this series uh, uh, talking about examining how God comes to another group of people in the, that the world would rather forget. Uh, and that is the refugees. The Bible refers to them in many ways, calls them foreigners, calls them exiles, pilgrims, sojourners. Refugees, we call them in our modern day. And we'll examine this topic, God with the refugees, in three sections. I'll speak about the flight of the refugee. I'll speak of the fight of the refugee. And then the refuge or the asylum for the refugee. Now to my first point, the flight of the refugee. Uh, the, the two speakers who came before me spoke about their experience of Christmas. The sort of... Uh, uh, Emmanuel had what is uh, he said his up upbringing, his background was essentially one of an unending Christmas. He starts celebrating Christmas by when? When did he say? February. And then, you know, Christmas. And then he takes down the lights when? He takes down the Christmas tree, February. So what time do you actually are not celebrating Christmas, right? And Francis said he sort of begins his around that September, October. He gets into the feeling. Mine was a bit different. Uh, Christmas was always a sudden thing for me. I was in boarding house, at least the memories I have. I was in boarding house in the north. I was in a military school. And um, they only released us the week of Christmas. The week of Christmas. So I literally went from darkness, hunger, suffering, to what? Light. Jollof. You know, just, you know, it was, it was night and darkness for me. I was in darkness and then light to just shine. So Christmas as was, was never something that was anticipated. It was struggling, and sometimes I didn't have money to come back. Most of us didn't have money to come back because the school I went to, they would provide a C-130, Hercules, Charlie plane, those transport cargo planes you see in movies. They would provide for that, and they would just dump us all at the back, and we'd hold on to ropes to the, uh, for the flight back to Lagos. And if you missed your flight, you had to wait till the next day. And the, and the angst, there's no telephones, you know, there's nobody to call, and, you know, my, my, and I've missed a couple of times. So my mom would be waiting. I think the first time I missed it, it was really terrible. She thought something had happened. And then the second time that it was about to happen, the struggle, the struggle to just get on that plane. You know how, if you've ever boarded Molo in Lagos, how all you need to do is just, as the crowd is pushing it, just put in a leg or an arm, and the crowd will just carry you inside. You know, your legs don't even have to touch the ground. I think that's how I entered the plane at that time. So, and that was my own upbringing. And, and now, 
you know, a lot of time it's work, 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 throughout the day, work, 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 and then we usually just get an announcement that it's a company Christmas party or that uh, we're going to go on break. And you're like, eh, really? Christmas has come? You know, and it's, it's, even till now, it's a bit sudden for me. It's only with my, my daughter turning uh, from the time, last two years when she turned six-year-old that she began to demand. Dema- if she just sees a light, she too, she's in school, but immediately she just sees light anywhere, any decoration, she starts insisting that we put up the tree. Now, the Advent, the, the Christmas season, the Advent for uh, the people of Joseph's family and Jesus' day, the Advent was the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of faithful worshippers of Yahweh. The anticipation when the Lord will come to be with his people. Except that for most people, that anticipation had been lost, essentially. There were very, very few people. And so when we read in, some, uh, book, uh, in the Gospels, the few people waiting in the temple... Uh, we see it's remarkable, the old man who's been waiting for the salvation of Israel. Those are really remarkable moments. Those are really few people here and there who were, uh, who were keeping in mind these prophecies and anticipating. The anticipation was lost for the most part. The promise of Emmanuel was given first in Isaiah 7.14. And it was given to, during a time when Israel was undergoing persecution by two kings. So, sorry, Judah was undergoing persecution by two kings. The king of Syria and the king of Israel, by the way, they had uh, Israel, uh, 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 the kingdom of God had split into two, the people of God had split into two, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and the king of Israel allied with the king of Syria to, uh, to see, uh, lay siege against uh, the king of Judah, the land of Judah. And so the promise came to them that the Lord himself will give you a sign through the prophet Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. It was a promise that went out. It says, before that child grows enough to know the difference between right and wrong, all these people that are gathered against you, these rulers, these evil people, God will destroy them. So it was originally given uh, during that time when bad rulers caused conflict, caused wars, caused famine, caused just danger to the people of God. But that anticipation had been lost. And here we see Israel having a history of being tormented by bad rulers, both their own rulers and then after a while, uh, uh, external rulers. And during Jesus' day, Rome was the power that was governing, that had governance over Israel. Judas Caesar, the, the, the emperor of Rome, had granted the Jews some political freedoms, given them some freedom, some limited oversight of their lives, of their lawsuits. They exempted them from military duty. That was a big thing. If, you're, if, you're, if you lived in the empire of Rome, you, had, you, were, you were going to serve in Rome's conquest. The Jews were given an exemption from military duty. Uh, and they, they put a governor over them, King Herod. And Herod was a nominally Jewish person, but he was not really Jewish. He was Edomian, or what Old Testament would call an Edomite. So he wasn't really one of them. And this is very important because when your leaders have no compassion, have no connection with the people, when leadership looks at the people uh, that they are governing over as, as others, Right? You, there's no empathy, there's no compassion, and then you can, do, you can begin to do really, really cruel things to the citizen of a country. Judah was not a free nation by any stretch of the imagination. Its rulers were cruel, and Herod acted consistently in this manner. Any hopes that Israel had of deliverance from the iron sandals of the, of the Romans, for a lot of people, they said, think it would have to come from rebellion, from insurrection. So if you're a believer in, Lord in, 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 in Judah and you're awaiting the promise of Emmanuel, you are hanging on by a very, very slim thread of faith. And every t- corner you, t- you, you turn, there was disappointment and there was distress. 
and if and if you had lost all hope, but you wanted to cast off the restraint or the, the constraint of the Roman Empire, you started to back. Whenever you heard parties like or people or parties like the Zealots or the, the band of brigands that would you know that would form insurrection and, and destroy a Roman installation or attack a Roman checkpoint, you you might even cheer a little bit and say, yeah, give it to the man. Except sometimes the populace was caught up in this uh, violence too. The populace was caught up, and so the air during the time of Jesus was not marked with three months of music and celebration and anticipation. The air was pregnant with violence. It was, it was pregnant with malice. It was pregnant with darkness. It was real darkness that Jesus Christ came into. But God's mercy flowed into this darkness. Unlike many people today who get no warning whatsoever, Joseph's family at least gets a warning. In verse 13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The angel of the Lord warned him. Most people who are victims of violence, who are victims of war, who are victims of terrorism, get no advance warning whatsoever. God tells Joseph to get up, to escape, and to go to Egypt. And you know, he goes to bed. If you read the, the passage, he goes to bed. That same night that's, that he, he dreams, he wakes up. I don't know whether it's still the same midnight or they waited till the evening of the next day. But that same day, get up, take... Can you take all you have? You can't take all you have. You take whatever it is you can and you escape into darkness. And what they face is what many in our modern world face in terms of uh, refugees, in terms of uh, whether it's a trip through the desert or it's a trip through the waters. And we have a couple of pictures that, you know, that shows um, migrants coming out of Syria. Syria, Yemen, Libya, at different points, they'll, 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 they'll pack themselves on ships like this and this ship capsized. This ship capsized. Why do they go through this? What are they fleeing from? Next picture. Kids. The one on top, his name is Aliud. The one on the right is Omran. The lady below, from the 70s in Vietnam, her name is Kim Phuc. And that is a family of three, Achelai, Sarah, and Maria Meza. They are fleeing. They are running away from violence. They are fleeing away from, from conflict. They are running away from persecution. Their lands are decimated. That's why they are running out. And we're not in our own country. This is not just about Yemen and Syria and Libya. In our country, next slide. The upper left corner, those are the coffins of 26 Nigerians who were buried in Italy. Does anybody know what their gender is? All women. Did you hear that news? All women. They're both capsized. Uh, they, were probably in one, they were probably in the worst part of the boat whatsoever. The men were maybe a bit stronger, maybe learned how to swim. The men survived. At least some men uh, survived that uh, boat capsized. The women all died. 26 women died. The bottom corner is a picture of an IDP camp in Maiduguri. And those two pictures are two women. The bottom left, Leah Sharibu, she's, she's a, a captive. The right woman is Hawa Liman. She's dead. She worked for the Red Cross killed by Boko Haram. So we're not far, we're not inured from what is going on around the world. Why are people taking this risk, facing 
you know, this sort of tragedy through the desert or tragedy through the waters. Why are they going this? Well, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That's what they were running from. They're running from violence. They're running from conflict. They're running from death. They're seeking safety. Joseph's family was fleeing swords and spears from, uh, from Herod's soldiers. These guys were fleeing bombs and bullets. And same with uh, families and clans around Nigeria, from Sambisa to Chibok to Dabchi uh, and many other towns and villages in Nigeria and Cameroon, Bakasi, right? Those are some of the places that we've forgotten are in trouble. They're fleeing from the militia and they're seeking one thing. They're seeking safety. God's people are not inured from this tragedy. God's people are not. For Joseph and his family, we see four, uh, four towns that they lived in. From Bethlehem, where they started out, to Egypt. We'll see later on, they came back to Judea. But he had to run to where? Nazareth. And during Moses' time, the people of God uh, that Moses led out of the Exodus, what are the things we hear about them? They left from Egypt to Sinai to Mount Nebo before they ended in, the, in, in Canaan. There are similar tra- uh, routes today for, uh, for, for African countries. So from Kano to uh, Niger, uh, from Niger or Chad, through uh, Libya, Tripoli in, in, in Libya, to Malta, to Greece, and to Italy. Those are the routes that people live their lives, the lives of the people of God. And then all those people are not just you know, unbelievers or people who are fired with. They are Christians. The lives and times and paths of the people of God have not always been straight or free of, uh, of turbulence. And that brings me to my second point, the fight of the refugee. The refugee is one who is forced to leave his country. So there's actually a definition. One who is forced to leave their country in order to escape the violence of war, of persecution, or natural disaster. They are forced. There is no visa application. There is no GRE, GMAT uh, writing exam. There is no job application. They are forced to do what? To flee. There is no time to make arrangements, in most cases, with somebody on the other side where you're going to receive you. There's no time to make arrangements for logistics or for food along the way. You take whatever it is you come, uh, you can find. You take it day by day. A lot of news agencies like the BBC also identifies uh, uh, you know, different terms. Another group of people just generally refer to them as migrants. And it refers to all people who are on the move and who are yet to complete the legal process of claiming asylum. So you have migrants, people that just call migrants. When they eventually find asylum, then you know, or when they are getting processed, they call them refugees. But in between that, what are they? Migrants. And that's why the world is struggling today. There's a legal definition for refugees, but many people cannot claim refugee status until they actually reach their final destination. It is a miracle to get out of war and conflict. It is a miracle to pass safely through the lands, through uh, land and sea. It is a miracle to land in the, sea, in, the, in the city or the country you're going to. And all the time you're wondering, what am I going to eat? 
What am I going to drink? What am I going to feed my family? When I land there, will I be admitted? Will I be safe? The statistics for uh, African migrants into, uh, into uh, Europe and for, at least currently, the Central American migrants into Mexico trying to get into the U.S., about two-thirds of them says they've experienced, experienced physical violence along the path. So they're escaping violence from their homes. On the way, they experience violence from gangs and people who are trying to take advantage of them, right? And the women, guess how many have been sexually assaulted? The whole caravans you see, how many? A full third. 33 to 35% of all women who are part of these migrant uh, caravans or these migrant paths are sexually assaulted. It is not an easy life for them. It is not something that people make because they have a choice. Because they're just looking for a better life. It is an existential crisis for most of them. And it's important to keep note of these, all these legal definitions and some of the fights that are going on in the world because we as Christians are asked to come into, to step into this scene and, and look at it from the lens of the gospel, from the Bible. How does God view these people? Governments today are struggling. Citizens are struggling because citizens have to pay for refugees that come into their country. And for those of us who are Christians, we can't afford to think in binary terms. You know, binary meaning there's law and order. These people must obey the law of the land. And on the other hand, there's social justice. And the government is concerned with law and order. And then who is concerned with justice for the vulnerable? Well, maybe some NGOs, maybe some, you know, tree huggers. You classify those people into something other than the mainstream. Whereas that's not, that's not how life works. That's not how countries work. That's not how the gospel works. There is no separation between law and order and justice and mercy. As believers, we're called to bring mercy, to bring justice for these vulnerable people into the laws of our land. And so as Christians, we're called to advocate for change. Where change is and where if the law, if the law of the land does not allow for people to be helped. We have to work with people to change the laws of the land. And today, recent studies have shown that the migrant crisis is not economic. It's not merely economic. Displaced people today are truly refugees. In Central America, what are they fleeing from? It is an unbelievable level of gang activity. Have you seen where gangs control the streets of a country and the police cannot do anything? Cannot do what? anything. The police are complicit uh, much of the time. They're constantly recruiting your children, constantly threatening you, and you have no option but to get up and go. And for people, it's a head scratcher. We know about wars. We know about countries fighting. But what's this group of people? Gangs? You have no conception of what it means to have your children slaughtered in front of you and to to be trying to avoid that fate and to take up that journey up uh, three to four countries. Violence, conflict, Danger, gang wars. But the struggle of the refugee, his fight is actually very, very simple. It's so that he does not end up a statistic. That's all he wants to be. He doesn't want to be a statistic. He doesn't want to be a a, a part of this group of people that we all look at with either with horror or we shrug with helplessness. Their fight is to be human, is to be a face. Even if that face is the living embodiment of suffering, just look at my face. Living embodiment of suffering, but also a living embodiment of hope. The struggle is against hopelessness, it's against helplessness, it's against fatigue and forgetting. Not their own hopelessness, 
Not their own forget, not their own fatigue, but you and I, those of us who are watching, that is the real struggle. Their survival is dependent on you and I not looking away. And for most of us who, you know, you have your own troubles, you have your own life, you're, 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 you're struggling, you're really, you know, you came from out of Lagos, you didn't grow up here, or you grew up in Lagos, but, you know, you don't have a silver spoon, you're struggling to find a job, trying to make out your own life, you know, you're, you know, you're hanging out with, you're, you're still living with some friends, you're, you know, and these images, you know, in your newspaper, on the TV, like you have your own problem, you look at it for one second, you say, ah, oh my shield, ah, and then you look away. It's hard to continue to look at these pictures, these images, day in and day out. It's hard to continue to have these news come to us and do nothing about it. But that's their struggle. Their fight is to have you and I acknowledge them. To say that, I see you. I don't know what to do. I'm confused. I don't know how the world works. I can't uh, convince uh, this government or my government to do anything for you. But I see you. And I will not look away. And so... Our challenge is to, how do we, in spite of all of our own burdens, our own troubles, our own worries, how do we look at them? How do we continue to look at them? Just look at them. Don't stay. When you, when that, when you just want to take your head, yeah, because you are helpless, because you are fatigued, just look one more minute and then imagine it's you. And then imagine it's your child. The picture of uh, those, those kids, those are two-year-old, three-year-old children. We have two or three-year-old children here in, in, in this church. Imagine them. If you don't have any kids, imagine they are your your brother, your sister, your favorite niece or nephew. Let the sadness that builds in your heart when you look at this picture, let it move you to compassion. Let Let it first even just generate compassion. Because without compassion, we can't do anything. We will not do anything. Or we'll do something token. Whereas... It is the, the Lord Jesus Christ, or God himself, wants to develop compassion in our hearts so that we'll do what we'll cry out to him. When compassion builds inside of you, then you can cry out to the Lord about them. You can talk to the Lord about them. Why? Because God remembers the refugees. God remembers the refugees. In verse 19, we, say, we, hear, we see that after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. God remembers the refugees and he calls out to him. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that God remembers us in our suffering? That God remembers us when we are suffering. It may be for years, maybe for months, no matter how long it takes. You may have been standing in line for food. You may be trying to get blankets to get warm. You've suffered, suffered deprivation, lack of convenience. It is good to know that God remembers you. If you're here, you've ever lived in a foreign country or a foreign land. You know, my NYC days almost reminds me of being in a foreign land. It is, I, 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 would, I, will, I kid you not, I served in Yobe State in Damaturu. And um, because, I, because I served in the military for a while, I actually was exempt from NYC. But I decided, hey, or I could be exempt from NYC. I decided I want to see a part of this country. And so I went to Yobe, I did my, uh, you know, I was parade commander in an uh, in NYC camp, and then real life began, they posted me. And if you thought camp was bad, if you thought camp was bad, I remember the first night, uh, I was posted to a government hospital, Damagum General Hospital. Damagum General Hospital is smaller than this City Lodge Hall. 
And um, they said, don't worry, they've taken care of our accommodations. And they took us to what I can only refer to as an uncompleted building. Uncompleted building. And the bed was a stack of wood. And part of the roof was exposed. And it's hot during the day and it's cold at night. And I remember laying down to sleep that day. I just, you know, I took my, I took like two shirts, placed it on the wood, used my bag as my pillow, and I laid there and I said, Mommy, Mommy. And that is nothing to be compared with what refugees go through. I had an option. Uh, after a couple of days, I came to my senses. I was like the prodigal son. I came to my senses. I took a taxi to the airport. I said, Call my mother. They said, who is your mother? My mom worked at NA fan at the airport authority. I said, call my mother. She's Mrs. Oshidobi. She's personnel manager and fan. Call her now. I want to come home. <laughs> so they put in a call to her and they allowed me to fly free. And I came back to Lagos. Then the next week, I took some money, went to Abuja, and I got my exemption certificate. <laughs> I know there are people here First faith, who have a thing about NYC and people who change, who love to change where they're going. Paul says, if you're a slave and you can get your freedom, get it. <laughs> That's all I'll say. Do your national service, do your national service. I did mine, actually. I did mine in the military. But it's nothing to be compared with the lives that uh, refugees face. And time and time again, God reminds Israel. He reminds us. And we see that he, first of all, he reminded Israel of their situation. He says, out of Egypt I called out my son. And that's a quote from Hosea 11.1, 1, referring to how Israel was called out of Egypt, where they were slaves, where they were foreigners, where they were exiles, where they were serving masters uh, in, in Egypt. And he refers to that exodus, and he grounds the Bible's treatment, the Bible's treatment of refugees, or the Bible's instructions on how refugees and exiles and pilgrims are to be treated. He grounds it in that exile. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourself know how it feels to be a foreigner because you are foreigners in Egypt. Exodus 23, 9. Do not mistreat the foreigner. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, 33-34. It tells us to not oppress the foreigner and it tells us to Love the foreigner. The foreigner is fighting for his dignity. If he's able to land, if he's able to enter into the land, he won't have the kind of jobs he used to have. He won't have the kind of lifestyle he used to have. For many, many, many years, the quality of life is really, really poor. And that's why a lot of times when you travel, you enter into a taxi cab, uh, you're catching up with the guys in Ethiopia, Somalia, whatever, Iraqi. You say, ah, in my country, I was a what? What, what do you normally hear? A doctor. In my country, I was an engineer. In my country, I'm a lawyer. Why is he telling you that? Why is he telling you that? He's lost his dignity. He's trying to show you, I've done more than this. I've achieved, I'm 50, 60 years old, but don't look, at, don't look down on me. I've done more than this in my life. Now, all forms of work, we know are honorable. But a man knows where he's coming from. And so that's why the Lord says, we should not mistreat uh, the foreigner. And in fact, we should. So, don't mistreat them is one thing. Love them is what he says. The refugee fights for us to see them. 
They fight for us to hear them. They fight for us to remember them. They fight for us to acknowledge them, to dignify them, but also to help them. The first command we hear from the Bible says there should be an absence of ill will, an absence of attitudes or actions that would take advantage of or make the condition of the foreigner worse. The second command says there has to be the presence of goodwill. There has to be the presence of compassionate feeling, of kind helpful actions that will make their lives what? Better. They're not the same thing. Absence of ill will, but also the presence of goodwill. A desire to help their lives better. And that brings me to my third point. The refuge of the refugee, or the asylum for the refugee. Joseph returns home in 21 to 23. We say, so he got up, took the child and his mother, went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he will be called a Nazarene. So Joseph returns home to Israel. And that should be good news, right? But returning back is never an easy thing. And that's why Nkechi asks us to pray for her. That when her sojourn, when their sojourn is done for two years, she'll come back, she'll be able to restart her life. She, the job hopefully will still be there. It's a solid prayer. Returning back to your land is not always easy. For those who return back to their villages in, in, uh, in the Sambisa Forest or in Chiba, what did they find there? Broken homes, destroyed farmlands. In fact, you couldn't even go back and occupy your land because Boko Haram was somewhere around there still coming in for, to, to make uh, uh, surges to destroy and then they'll run back in. The land isn't always what you left it to be. The new king in Israel is the son of the murderous Herod who is ruling in Judea. He was in the capital city and the capital city is probably the best way to find work. That's why everybody's in Lagos or Abuja depending on whether you're an entrepreneur or a tenderpreneur, right? These are two places to be to get work. But he lands there. No, he has to go to Galilee. He has to go to Galilee. It's like being an investment banker in... Who said worry? <laughs> that works too. I was going to say Benway. <laughs> Where's Tedu? Yeah, okay. He can't kick me when I'm done. All right. So he's like, yeah, that's the best place to go, right? But, you know, those options are not available to you. He has to go to the northern region of Galilee, close to where the Gentiles are. And then he goes to not just a midtown in Galilee, he goes to a village, a village called Nazareth. A choice that is again necessitated because of the need for the security of his family, security from violence. But also, also he goes there because it is the fulfillment of prophecy. One prophecy with, with I just talked about was, out of Egypt, I, I called up my son. And the second one is that he shall be called a Nazarene. And this is, this is an amazing identification with a small, despised town. Instead of a capital city or instead of a mid-sized town. Nazareth is so despised that Nathanael asks in derision, when Philip comes to him with the news that we found the Messiah, we found the Messiah. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Out of, out of love for all of you, I will, I, you know, I will not ask which part of Nigeria qualifies for this derisive tone. Can anything come? She says, not worry, because worry, you know, they carry last. Right? Yet, 
This is the village that God chose our Lord Jesus Christ to emerge from many, many years later when he starts his ministry. The refuge of the refugee isn't just where he's granted asylum. It isn't just where they are the best resources available. But it is the place where God himself has prepared a sanctuary for them. A place where they can flourish no matter how meager the environment looks. No matter how meager their resources or how downtrodden the environment looks. Nazareth becomes a town where Jesus will grow, where he would flourish, where he will grow. The Bible says in stature, in favor with God. And with men. And uh, Jacob, Joseph's carpentry business picks up. We don't know how good the business was. But he helped him in raising not only Jesus, but other siblings. And that is something that is merciful, that God in his mercy does for the refugee. And so this season, this Christmas season, this Advent, the one we are celebrating is the one, and it's funny, you know, Christmas is always, I, I can't, Christmas is always, the, the, the celebration of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is like Francis and, uh, and Kichi's living, is all, always, always bittersweet also for me. Because I can't talk about the birth of Christ without thinking of his death. We can't talk about his coming, his name that he was given, for he shall save the people from their sins. A statement of purpose. You can't help but think of the reason why he came. That this same Jesus will come, that has come, will die eventually as a substitute for our sin. That he will pay the penalty for our, um, for our sins, the penalty of death. And with that sacrifice, he will reconcile us to his own father. He would obtain forgiveness for us from God. And that would get us adopted into the family of God, the royal family of God. We will be inheritors of great and wonderful promises that he would change us from the inside, that he would empower us by his Holy Spirit to change other people. He gives us wonderful assurances that if we believe in him, that in the coming age, that there's an age to come where we will not have evil rulers who will use violence to rule, who will persecute, or who will lead armies to war, who through selfish pride, through blind ambition, through unbridled greed, or insatiable ego, will take us from destruction to destruction. He gives us a promise uh, of, of a time to come. That assurance is so strong that he asks us to, to, to do something radical. He says we should live. Even though you have a home, you are from Lagos or from Abuja, you have a home, you have a house, you have family around you. He says, live as foreigners. Live as pilgrims. Live as sojourners. Live as refugees here on earth because he's building for us a better city. Everyone who is a member of his family, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we're eagerly, we say, live in such a way that you're eagerly awaiting a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. He asks us to live radically. Some of the pilgrims who have come before us have suffered horribly. The Bible says the world wasn't worthy of them. We are told in Hebrews 11.36 that we are, to, we are told to hold on and to be proud of that identity. Be proud of that identity. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the beginning of how we can begin to identify with some of the images we see on our TV screens. Like those pilgrims were to look forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The analogy is very clear. If, uh, is very clear. If Christians 
are sons and daughters of Abraham, then like Abraham were to live as strangers and exiles here on earth who look forward to our glorious heavenly home. And why can we do that? Why can we do that? Because Jesus, our Emmanuel, God has come to us. God has come to be with us. And this God who becomes man, who left behind all the treasures of heaven, and who deprived himself of all the trappings of divinity to become a baby, who becomes one who is utterly dependent on his human parents. He grows up fully relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work of his ministry, to the power of God to keep him on his mission. He lived perfectly and eventually gave himself over to death on the cross. This Jesus whom we're celebrate, celebrating is the ultimate refugee. Most refugees carry all their treasures with them. Most refugees carry all their treasures. And there's a story about, uh, uh, the, about the Indians who had to leave India uh, in the 1960s when India was partitioned into India and Pakistan. And everybody who lived in that border had to leave. They couldn't go into India. Neither could they stay uh, in... Uh, neither would Pakistan uh, accept them. And they would all wear their jewelry under their clothing and started their migration. They migrated all the way down to Africa. They ended up in Uganda, Kenya, and some of them by the late 70s ended up here in Nigeria. They wore their jewelry and everywhere they go because your money is no good, right? Your money is no good. Your naira is no good. In, is it good in Chad? I don't know. I don't want to misspeak because, because we're better than Chad, right? Your money is no good where you're going. But you take your jewelry, you take your value, the little things you have, you take them with you. The same way Joseph and his family will have taken all their valuables, the same way they will have taken their gold, frankincense, and myrrh and sold them along the way, they take them along with them to be able to survive. Most refugees carry all their treasures in order to escape death. This refugee, our Lord Jesus Christ, left the treasures of heaven to come and embrace death. The greatest refugee has become the ultimate refuge. It's not where you end up physically that matters. It's not whether you are in a place where you expanded, where you're living large. Whether you even have enough bread to eat for today. That's really not the most important thing. That will come. The most important thing is to find refuge in our Lord Jesus Christ. We are exiles who understand the condition of the refugee. Christmas is about God bringing light into our darkness and into the darkness of everyone who has no home, who has no place, who has no place to be comfortable. And it is the Lord's will that we would commit to bringing comfort. Comfort to people around us. Comfort to refugees. Comfort to exiles. Comfort to foreigners. Comfort to strangers. Bring comfort to them while pointing to the comfort of our future eternal home God is able to call us to live this radically because Jesus himself did something radical for us and it's something we hopefully this week will take time to think about, to pray about and before I close I'll just give a couple of practical steps for how we can 
not only walk with God, but also work with God. Remember the goals are to give dignity, to give comfort, to give assistance. So practical ways is, let us slow down, let us pause, and let us look straight at the people, the images we find. That's the first thing. Just look straight at what you're seeing and think about their situation. Then ask the Lord how you can enter into their pain. That's the second thing. Ask the Lord how you can enter into people's pain. Pray for every single incident that you hear about. Every time you, it's a quick prayer. It's just, you, maybe you have a prayer time, you can add them to your prayer list. But every time you hear about an incident, every time you see an image, say a quick prayer to the Lord on their behalf. Let them know that you see them. Let them know that the Lord remembers them. And finally, give to a cause. After you have prayed, after you have asked, prayer, give to a cause and ask others to join you. That's why we have our gospel community and that's why we have our justice initiatives. Find out the name of any organization that is providing support for these groups. Contact your gospel community leader. Bring it up in your gospel community meetings and see how you can intervene in the life. It's not always bad news. The end of the life of a refugee is not always bad news. There's one last slide about the lady that we heard uh, early on. Kim Fook, I think is her name. It's hard to pronounce it. She's a famous picture called the Napalm Girl. You know, friendly forces mistakenly dropped uh, bombs of liquid fire, burnt most of her skin. And she, she blacked out. She couldn't even remember. But she's running away from the scene. She says later on she decided she was going to be a doctor. She starts starting to be a doctor, to be a medical doctor, and then a journalist discovers her. This is long after the war is over. The journalist discovers her. Her country begins to use her for propaganda and for, uh, you know, for pictures. So they pull her out of school, and she's essentially used for publicity around for her country. Eventually, at one point, her country sends her uh, to go back to school in Cuba. And during one of those times when she's going to school, the plane stops in Canada for an hour. So something, some good things come out of Canada for like an hour and she escapes from the plane. She and her husband at that time. She became a Christian. She had, she had prior to leaving Saigon, she had discovered the Bible in just because you know, the pain of her experience, of her wartime experiences. She was looking for faith. She was looking for something for sugar, for comfort. And so she discovered so she discovered um the Bible and she reads through the Bible and she says I want to know more about this Christ and she keeps thinking and thinking and thinking about the gospel when she eventually lands in Canada she finds a church family she finds a group of people who embrace her and she's now an advocate for refugees she's an ardent believer in the Lord Jesus Christ Christians should be at the forefront of showing that we truly truly understand what it means to live as a refugee on this planet let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for everyone here whom you've decided to draw near to. Help us to find comfort in your advent. Help us to be your arms, O oh Lord, and legs to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos